um, I was just kind of overwhelmed just by the sense of God's goodness. Because Kennedy and I last night, it's like we're kind of the little night owls. So we went out on the four-wheeler last night, and she had left her uh, her Apple Watch charger across the street. So we went and got that just so we could plug it in long enough that we could take it outside. And it's really wild. You look at your arm, and used to, I used to look at my arm, and I would see you know, sometimes three hands if it had a second hand, and it would just be like a minute one and an hour one. Well, now you can look at it and do this, and it tells you what stars are up there. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's like, she's like, well, that, that's Saturn. I was like, what's that orange thing? Oh, that's a satellite, Mom. It's like, <laughs> but it was just amazing how technology has changed. And it's amazing when I looked up, and it's so nice. We came from kind of the city, so we've been here for 10 years. And I still can't get over opening the car door. And I kind of look like a crazy person. I just open the car door and just go. And I was like, I hope nobody drives by. They're like, what's wrong with that crazy lady? Poor lady, get her inside. It's like, what's happening with her? But I'm just in awe of the stars. And I was in awe of this little apparatus that says, this is Alpha Centauri. And this is blah, 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 blah. And this is words you don't know how to say. And I thought, every star is named. Every planet is named. Stars that come and go, stars that we see now that have long since been gone, but we're just now seeing the light of it. And God knows each of them by name. He created them. It wasn't too long ago I was reading in Genesis. I thought, you know what? I was, it's like, what, what study do I want to do? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to start from the beginning. And I always thought Genesis was a tiny bit boring. It's like, okay, yeah, so Okay, God created all this stuff. Yay. Okay, let's move on. And then I went back to the beginning. I was like, God created all this stuff. Kennedy and I have spent, what, six days trying to make a dog bed? And it's kind of really interesting. Chris keeps having to go back to B&B to get more supplies. And it's like I start on it, and I have this picture, this vision in my head, and I'm like, we're going to do this. I'm like, oh, that doesn't line up. Let's put more wood on it. It's 552 pounds, and it's for 200 or for two little dogs that weigh, I think, seven pounds total. And I thought, man, I created something. But now that we've put kills on it, it's like we've primed it. It's beginning to look like one piece of furniture, a very heavy, lots of wood furniture for two little Yorkies. And I thought... I've, I've got this sense of, we made that. <laughs> I was like, whoa, look at us making stuff. And then I thought of God. And it's like, he was like, he probably thinks that's way cute and that we use too much wood and killed too many of his trees that he created. <laughs> and so I was looking and thinking, God made all those stars. God made everything in the universe in the time it took us to make a dog bed. That's really amazing to me. <laughs> And then going back to when I was looking at the stars, I thought, every one of those has a name. And God did not say that that's his favorite creation. You are his favorite creation. And I want you to know, no matter what you're going through today, if you're having the best day of your life, if you are at rock bottom, it doesn't matter where you are in this kind of space and time continuum of life. It doesn't matter. God knows you by name. He sees exactly where each star is, 
and he sees exactly where you are. He knows your situation. He knows everything you're going through. He knew before he created those stars what you would be going through today, what you'd be going through next week, what you went through last week. And he is not afraid of one single thing. He can overcome and has overcome every single thing. So as I, Kennedy and I, we're working so hard to create something, and we are so proud of our work. God spoke you into existence, and not only did he speak you, he formed you up out of the clay so that his thumbprints, his handprints, his fingerprints are all over you. You are his favorite creation. He knows you by name. He knows where you are, and he is, like that song today, he is a good, good father. And then as we are singing that song, Come to the Altar, this is what I want to leave you guys with. And I'm sorry I'm going so long. You can dock my pay or something. I don't know. But come to the altar. These altars up here are for you to come to and find what you need and to lay down your burdens, to lay down sin, lay down unforgiveness, lay down just years of pain, lay down fear, lay down hopelessness. And here's the thing. It's not the Old Testament where we have to make animal sacrifices anymore. Our altars are in here. You have an altar. Your, your heart is your altar to God. So I ask you, God asks you, come to the altar. God would say, I created you. I know you by name. I know where you are. I know what is happening. I'm a good father. I will not turn you away. You will not be disappointed. Come to me. Just draw near to me. If you're afraid to, do it anyway. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Amen. Amen. That's good. Thank you. Here, let me help you down the stairs. Got it? Cool. I would break my neck with those heels on, I guarantee you. I wouldn't look good in heels, would I? That'd be weird. <laughs> Y'all got your Bibles? Lift them up this morning and repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's Word. It's His truth, transforming every part of my life, and I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking, we started last week talking about the Apostle Paul. This week we're going to talk about one of the coolest characters in the Bible, and his name is Joseph. And we're going to talk a little bit about Joseph's story today, but we're talking about perspective. And perspective is how you see things. And so we're going to do a little, exam, little experiment here. Everybody take your hand and do it like this. Make a little circle. Now put it over one of your eyes and close the other one. Okay, what you're doing right now is this is your perspective right now. What you can see through this, through this eye and through the, that's, that's your perspective. You have to turn around and look. Now, everybody do this. Do you see how your perspective has changed? You know, before your perspective was very narrow and you had to turn to look and whatever you saw, you could only see through your hand there. But when you, when you take this off and you open your eyes up, you're able to see a much broader perspective. In other words, it's what we like to call the big picture. 
And so what I want us to discuss, and we discussed last week, we'll discuss again today, is seeing things through God's perspective. Because all of us look at things in life that happen to us through a very narrow lens. It's basically our life is kind of like looking through this little hole that you've got here, and you only see so things. And God's at work, like Trish said, he's created the universe. He's got all this stuff that he's spun into motion, and he's working on all these things. But so many times our focus is so narrow, we miss the big picture. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about Joseph and and his big picture and what happened in his life. There's a quote by a guy named Alan Saunders, and this is what it says. Life is what happens to us while we are making other plans. And for many of us, if if you're any, how many of you above 30 years of age? Let me see your hands. Okay, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that quote. You've got plans, you made plans for your life, but, but throughout your life there have been different things that have happened and your plans got changed and now you may have ended up somewhere, some, stuff's going on you never would have anticipated and what happened is you were walking along your path but there were these diversions or changes that came along and these plans happened while you were making other plans and that's what what the reality is with life. Well, Joseph was very much that way. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight through nine. This is what it says. This is God talking. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, you guys humor me for a minute. I want to do something real quick. I want just repeat this after me. Say, uh, I am not God. He is not me. He's smarter than I am. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's way smarter than you. Go ahead. Do that real quick. Yeah. You're not God. And newsflash, your neighbor's not either, and he's really a whole lot smarter than you are. God sees the big picture all the time. As a matter of fact, he's outside of time, and he's got things going, and God has a plan. The good news is you fit within his plan, but you are part of his plan. He is not part of your plan. Amen? And that's just the truth. So uh, Joseph's story is amazing. It actually spans about 13 chapters of the Bible, and I'm not going to go through all those today. As a matter of fact, I'm giving you homework. So here's your homework this week. You write this down, note takers. Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis chapter 50. I want you to read that this week. I'm going to be uh, just recapping today because it's just so much information. But Joseph's story is amazing. There's uh, three people in the Bible that are the, kind of the foundation of who we are as, as God's people, and it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob's, one of Jacob's sons was Joseph. Now, Joseph, uh, interestingly, the Bible tells us Joseph, Jacob had, Joseph had a lot of brothers. He had many brothers and sisters, but he had many brothers. And he was down at the bottom of the list in the ages of the brothers. And the Bible said that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. It was Joseph was Jacob's favorite. And so uh, Jacob doted on Joseph. And, and here's what Joseph would do. When Joseph was a teenager, he'd go out and his brothers would be working and they'd start messing around. And the Bible tells us that Joseph would go back and tattle on his brothers to his dad. It says that. He was a tattletale. How many of you have a tattletale in your family? Come on. You know, yeah, and, and everybody loves a tattletale, right? They're like, I'm going to tell mom, you know, and you're trying to tackle them, you know. 
and keep them from doing that? Well, Joseph was that. And so he had these older brothers, these 12 older brothers, and here's Joseph. And so they're out messing around, and he goes, yeah, I'm going to tell Dad. And he runs home and does. They didn't like that. Something interesting also about Joseph is Joseph had a spiritual gift, and his gift was prophecy. And so he saw visions. God would give him visions. Well, as a teenager, 17 years of age, God is giving him visions. And here's what he does. He gets with his brothers and he says, hey, guys, I had this vision. And in this vision, all these, uh, these stalks of wheat began to bow down to this one big stalk of wheat. And guess what? That's all of you guys bowing down to me. You think his brothers really like that? That was their favorite. You know, here's Mr. Tattletale. Now he's got this vision from God that says all of us are going to bow down to him and serve him. Yeah, so now they're really not liking that. To top all this stuff off, his dad loved him so much, he made him this special coat, this special cloak, and it's called the Cloak of Many Colors, and it had all these different patches of color on it, so he looked like what you'd call fancy, okay? So he had this really cool coat. None of the rest of the brothers had a coat like this, but he had this really cool coat, and now he's tattling on them. He's got the cool duds, and now he's had this vision of all of us are going to bow down to him. Then one night, I can imagine they're all at dinner, and his parents are there too, and he says, hey, God has given me another vision, and all these stars bowed down to this one star, and, and guess what? That's all of you guys bowing down to me, including you, mom and dad. And dad goes, Jacob looks over at him and goes, you mean to tell me that you're saying that all your brothers and your mom and I are going to bow down to you? He says, yeah, that's pretty much it. And that went over really well too. Here's what the Bible tells us about Joseph. It doesn't say that his brothers disliked him. It says that his brothers hated him. They couldn't stand him. And one day, Joseph is with his dad. He's 17 years old. He's with his dad, and his brothers are out tending the flocks. Now, notice, he's at home in the air conditioning watching YouTube or something, and his brothers are out working. And his dad says, hey, I want you to go check on your brothers. Go see how they're doing. So Jacob goes, sure, or Joseph goes, cool, puts on his fancy coat, goes for a walk. Of course, it's not close by. He has to walk a long way, and he gets to the place where they're supposed to be. Well, they've moved the flocks, and and there's a guy out there. He says, hey, do you know where my brothers are? Yeah, they went over to a place called Dothan. So he heads over to Dothan, and here's what the Scripture says. The brothers looked up, and they saw Joseph a long way off. And you know why he showed up? Because he's got his fancy coat, right? And they go, oh, there's that jerk. And then one of them says, come here, huddle up. I've got an idea. Let's kill him. Now, how many of you have ever wanted to kill one of your family members? Come on, let's be honest. Let's be real right now. Thank you for your honesty. The rest of you are lying, okay? But they meant it. And so as Joseph gets closer, one of the brothers is saying, no, 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 we can't do that. This is going to be bad. This is going to break dad's heart. And the other ones are like, no, you know, shut up. We're doing this. And so they strip his coat off of him, beat him up a little bit, and then they throw him down into a well that's dry. And then as they're getting ready to do this, one of the brothers says, please don't kill him. Please don't kill him. Well, it just so happens that a band of traders goes by on camels and jump, headed to Egypt. 
And one of the guys says, look, we might as well make some money out of this deal. Let's sell him as a slave. So they haul their brother up out of the pit, sell him to the traders, and send him on his way. Take his coat, kill a goat, take the blood of the goat, put it all over his coat, go back home and tell their dad that a wild animal ate him. Now, you may have been mad at a family member before, but this is extreme. This is a terrible situation. And so what happens is Joseph is now sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt, and in Egypt, he's sold again. And this time, he's sold to a guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar is the captain of the king's guard. He's one of the Pharaoh's influential people. He's in charge of the king's security, Pharaoh's security. So he's close to Pharaoh, very wealthy man, owns a lot of property and has a lot of slaves. So he hires Joseph, and the scripture tells us that Joseph... uh, The power of God, the favor of God is on Joseph, and he begins to excel in his job. So Potiphar begins to promote him and ultimately puts Joseph in charge of his entire household. The only person over Joseph is Potiphar. And so Joseph, you know, it kind of looks like, wow, it's been years now, but he's coming along, and hey, he realizes, man, this is terrible what happened to me, but I found a new place, and I'm going to make lemonade out of lemons here, and I'm going to do the best I can. Well, the scripture tells us that Joseph was very handsome. He was well-built and handsome. You know, kind of like, I'll let you figure that out. And, and so, so he's walking around the house. Well, it turns out that Potiphar's wife really likes Joseph, and she thinks he's hot. And so she multiple times, the scripture tells us, tries to get Joseph to sleep with him, with her. And so she just keeps approaching him, keeps approaching him. Joseph says, no. He says, look, your husband trusts me, and I'm not going to sin against God and against him. So no, leave me alone. Well, one day the scripture tells us he's in the house working on something. For whatever reason, the rest of the slaves are out of the house, so he's by himself. And here she comes. Hey. Right? And she comes in there and says, look, Potiphar's away on a trip. Nobody's going to know anything happened. Sleep with me. And Joseph's again, goes to the store. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to dishonor him. I'm not going to dishonor God. I'm not going to do it. Well, she, the scripture tells us, she reaches out and grabs his clothes. And Joseph runs, literally runs out of his clothes. Have any of y'all ever run that fast? I mean, that's moving. But scripture literally says he ran out of his clothes. She grabbed his clothes. Now he is buck naked running through the house trying to get away from this lady. Well, she's mad. This guy's been refusing me, refusing me. She said, I've had it. And so she calls in some of the other servants and says, look, that Hebrew tried to rape me. And Potiphar comes home, and he accu- she accuses Joseph in front of Potiphar. You can imagine Joseph saying, absolutely not, I did not do that. Potiphar's in between a rock and a hard place. He says, you know what? You've betrayed me, and now you're going to prison. But he doesn't just go anywhere in prison. He goes to the deepest part of the prison, the king's prison. Now, I don't know about you, but as I'm adding this up, he's been rejected by his family terribly. And I know some of you have been hurt and abused and you've received rejection from your family, and Joseph is right there with you. But here's something interesting. Now he's trying to do better. He's trying to to make a life for himself. He's trying to step up and do the right thing. And here's the deal. I don't know about you, but have you ever done the right thing and been accused wrongly? That's what's happened to him. He's like, I didn't do anything wrong. 
I didn't do anything wrong, and it doesn't matter. And what happens is he winds up in the pit. And I studied, as I was looking at this again this week, I studied, theologians said, get this, y'all, he was in that pit for between two and 13 years for something he didn't do wrong. Look at number one on your notes. God is chipping away the negative areas of our life to make us vessels of honor. God is chipping away the negative areas of our life to use us as vessels of honor. Here's the truth. Like Joseph, every one of us, every person in this room, Trisha nailed it. We are all masterpieces. God has made each of us unique. He knows you by name. Whether you're a Christian today or not, he created you and he knows you by name. His fingerprints are all over you. And each one of us has been given gifts and abilities. God has given every person gifts and abilities. But to every one of us also is a dark side. We have strengths, but we also have weaknesses. And Joseph is absolutely no exception. God has given him this great gift, but he's not only is it tattletale, he's using his gift for the wrong reasons, and, and he was saying the wrong things back to his brothers, and he received punishment a lot more than he probably deserved. But there was a dark side to his personality. But then now he's trying to be better and he's doing the right thing and God is blessing him. But once more, he's dealt with rejection twice on an epic scale. Once maybe for some stuff that he did. You can probably kind of see that with his brothers. I mean, it was extreme, but mm, he had a part to play. But this time he didn't do anything wrong. Some of you have dealt with abuse. Some of you have dealt with rejection. Some of you have had issues in your life that you were a part of. You made some bad decisions and you reaped some consequences of those. There are also some of you here today that things happened to you you did not deserve. You were abandoned, you were abused, you were fired, you were whatever the issue was, and you were blindsided. And in Joseph's case, He's got both of those things going on. And now he finds himself stuck in a prison with no chance of parole over a lie. Can I tell you something? That'll do something to your heart. That'll mess you up. But God is chipping away at things in your life. Why? Because he's making you a vessel of honor. Here's what happens to Joseph while he's in prison. Two other guys that are part of Pharaoh's inner circle come and they get put into prison. They've done something to make Pharaoh upset. And there's, one of them's a cupbearer and one of them is a uh, baker. One of them makes biscuits, the other one likes to eat stuff. So here they are, and they've both done something wrong, and now they're thrown into prison, but they're close to Pharaoh. They serve him. They know him. 
And, and now they're in prison, and they both have a dream. Each one of them has a different dream, and, and they don't know how to interpret this dream. And, and while Joseph is in prison, over time, the, the, guy, the, the prison warden sees God's favor in Joseph's life, and he promotes him to where Joseph is actually running the inside of the prison as a prisoner. So he's promoted again over time during those 13 years. And now he's running the inside of the prison. So he has access to these two prisoners, and and they come and they tell him their dreams. Now remember, Joseph has the gift of vision. I mean, he has this prophetic gift. He has the ability to, to understand some of these things. And remember what he did with his brothers when he just blurted out the prophecies before. But I want you to see how he responds now. Genesis chapter 40, verse 8. The cupbearer and the baker both said, We had dreams, they said to him, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see that, this is a vastly different person than it was at 17 years old. At 17 years old, it's like, I've had a dream, you bow down to me, Right? That was my rock and roll voice. I hope you guys enjoyed that. But now, notice what's happened. He he said, don't interpretations belong to God? There is no pride. There is no tell me your dream and I'll, you know, for $14.95 plus tax, I'll send you, you know. No. We're dealing with a different person. Because God's process will chip away at areas of your life. And so here's what happens. They, they both tell him their dreams. And, and the cupbearer's dream says, man, I, this is what happened. And he tells him the dream. And Joseph says, oh, this is what happens. And in three days, Pharaoh is going to restore you back into honor in your place with him. You're going to be back in his good graces. And the cupbearer's like, man, that's awesome. Thank you so much. High five. And then the baker sing, the Bible says, the baker seeing this is like, woohoo, this is great. And, and he says, hey, hey, Joseph, let me tell you my dream. Because he's thinking this is going to be great. So he tells Joseph his dream, and here's what Joseph says. Okay, here's the interpretation of your dream. In three days, your head's going to get cut off, and your body's going to be stuck on a pole. And he's like, well, that's not what I was looking for. And that's exactly what happened. In three days, the cupbearer's released and taken back into the king's presence. The baker is killed. But here's what Joseph does. Now watch this. Joseph says to the cupbearer, hey, don't forget me. When you leave, when you leave here, mention my name to Pharaoh, it says, and see, see if you can get me out of here. But you know what the scripture tells us? The, fa- the cupbearer got into Pharaoh's presence, and guess what he did? Forgot. This is strike three on the rejection scale. See, Joseph's been in prison once, ah, part, or you know, his first deal with his brothers, he had some guilt there. Second thing, he didn't do anything wrong. As a matter of fact, he was trying to serve God. The third deal is, he's been learning his lesson in prison. And his humility, we begin to see his humility. We begin to see a change in his life. And then he has this opportunity for God to use him. And he does, and he says, hey, just remember me. And you know he had to have been excited when the cupbearer left. He's thinking, can you imagine? He's thinking, oh, any day, I'm out of here. Any day, I'm out of here. And a month goes by, 
Three months go by. For those of you that have been hurt deeply, there are things in your life that will happen that will remind you of your pain. Maybe it's a song, maybe it's a smell, maybe it's a place, but whenever those things happen, you remember these moments of pain like it's just right now. And I can imagine Joseph feeling rejected for the third time and how that must have made him feel. Anybody in here ever been mad at God? Anybody? Thank you for your honesty. Me too. And I think if there was ever anybody that deserved to be bitter, if there was ever anybody, there's two people in the Bible that I think have really good opportunities for this. I think Joseph is one of them and Jesus is the other one. Betrayed when they didn't deserve it. So what happens? I mean, here's Joseph, been in prison, about to be up to sometime two to 13 years unjustly, and he, he's obeying God, and he's learning all these things. And can I help you right now to see something? Here's the deal. God is using this time in his life to chip away areas in his life that need to come off of him. I'm going to tell you a personal story. What mine looked like was mowing yards. Trish and I had been married a couple of years. We're working as youth pastors in a church. Left the church. I went to look for a job and I could not find anything. Taylor was a couple years old, Miles was little, and Trisha was pregnant with Kennedy. And I could not find work. Like nowhere. And so I started mowing yards. And for two years, Mowed yards, that's how we lived, and it was paycheck to paycheck, just surviving. But it was in that period of time, in that desert season in my life, in this prison-type season in my life, that God began to rewire me, that God began to work on me. And for those of you that have been Christians for a long time, you know what I'm talking about because you have had what, we in, what the Christianese is, is a desert experience where God separates you and you go through a time that's hard. And just so you know, I've had a couple of times since then that were very difficult, but this was the big one. And I went into that season as an incredibly arrogant person. And I came out of that season broken. The end of my story for those of you that don't know, the end of my story, working two years, working as a you know, mowing yards, and I started applying for jobs and I had a friend call me and said, hey, they're hiring at the ballpark in Arlington. They need a director of marketing. I've got a business degree and I was a youth pastor. <laughs> that was my experience and neither of those things goes together. So I go out and interview at the ballpark in Arlington as the director of marketing for the broadcast division. Third floor, center field, Texas Rangers. Go up to the interview with my amazing tan because I've been mowing yards for two years. I look like a supermodel. No, not so much. Okay, I was very tan. Walk in and do the interview. No experience, none. That night I go home 
and got a vision. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, I called the president of the company, his office number, because he gave me his card, left him a voicemail. That's back when voicemail was first invented. Y'all remember those days? And I left him a voicemail, and God had given me this vision and for their business. And I just, I said, hey, this is who I am. You and I, you interviewed me today. Here's this, here's this idea that you guys can use for the business. You never have to call me back. These are just some ideas. Two days later, they call me back and hire me. No experience. Walked into the office the first day. Hello, Mr. Clem. Hello. There's an elevator here. Why don't you ride it? Sure. This is what air conditioning is. I've been in the heat for a long time, Aaron. I'm right there with you, right? I go upstairs, walk in. Mr. Clem, here's your office, center field, ballpark in Arlington. Director of marketing, broadcast division. This is your assistant. Hello. Need your yard mode? Because I'm really good at that. Walk in, true story, very personal to me. Walk in, and these were the offices that had shades in them, you know? I had two big windows, walked over to one window, walked over to the other window, and got down on my face before Almighty God and praised him and said, God, what do I do? And he blessed that business, and it changed my life. See, I get this. I have been there. I've walked this path. Not to this extreme, but for me, I walked it. So when I read Joseph, I understand. And some of you today are at that place where where you feel set aside, you feel locked away, you don't know where God is in the midst of all this, but he is using those desert experiences to chip things away in your life to make you someone that that he can use. But can I tell you something? Part of what is keeping you is that you have pride in your life. God hates pride, he can't use it. And so he will put us in positions where only he can help us. He'll put us in positions where he has to chip away at those places. And, take, and, and can I tell you, it hurts. Let me show you. There's a picture up here that I think perfectly describes what happens when we start going through things with God. Look at that. There's the Holy Spirit on the left laughing. There's you on the right. Ah! <laughs> That's, that's about the best picture I can think of when you walk with God. Let me give you a newsflash. He's God, you're not. It's his roller coaster. He's in charge. But if you will submit to him, the ride can be pretty fun, but it can also be terrifying. But have you ever, how many of you have ever been on a roller coaster? How many of you like them? How many of you are scared to death? Okay, here's what's cool about the roller coaster. The first few times, if you're like me, you were terrified. Then after a while, you get a little braver. Now, if you, get, if, if you and I went today to a theme park that had a big roller coaster, I promise you this is what's gonna happen. You can see the different people that are getting on there. You know where they're at. You know what I'm talking about? You can see their face. They're the ones that are going, this is the worst idea I've ever had. Kill me now, right? Then there are the other ones that are like, Woo! And as soon as you get on there, it's not even moving yet. And they're in the back going, woo, unbuckle it. I'll just sit here, woo, right? And you know why they do that? 
Because all the people that engineered these things and spent millions of dollars engineering all this stuff realize that you're not going to come out of that thing. That there's a plan. And they've learned to enjoy the ride. And then there's the other ones that are scared half to death. But they're both going to the same place. It's just how you take the journey. And what I would encourage you in today is let go and let God take you on a pretty cool journey. Amen? God's plan is probably going to make you uncomfortable at times, which translated means scared to death. (laughs) Number three, and I'm going to close pretty quick. You need to have faith even when you don't understand. Faith here is translated trust in God. You need to believe him even when you don't get it. And that's what one of the lessons that Joseph had to learn in the prison. He had to submit to God even when he didn't understand what was going on. Let me tell you what I believe happened to Joseph in the pit, in the prison. He had to learn faith. He had to learn submission. And he had to learn humility. Faith in God, submission to God, and to be humble before God. And I want to tell you something, folks. It's absolutely the same for you. If you're in the pit right now, if you're in the desert right now, just listen to me. Submit. Can I just tell you, I got to the place in my own experience that I just finally surrendered everything to God. I just finally got to the place where I realized I was not in control. To this day, I realize I'm not in control. I'm just a part of God's plan. And if I will submit to him, he will use me and flow through me and he'll help you and other people. But it's not me, it's him. I learned that mowing yards. Joseph learned it in the prison. Life is what happens to us while we are making our plans. God's plan, number four, is always about people. He redeems our pain. That word redeem means buys back our pain. He takes it and he turns it into something else. God changes our pain. He changes the perspective. See, God was able to take Joseph's experience and turn it around. And I'm going to show you what that looks like in a minute. But before all this happened, Pharaoh had some dreams and Pharaoh had these two dreams, and, there, and in the dreams, he couldn't interpret them. So he called all of his wise men together and all his magicians, and they said, we don't know the answer to this. And, and Pharaoh says, surely there's got to be somebody in this kingdom that can interpret these dreams, because he kept having them. He said, I need some help. And the cupbearer, y'all remember our buddy, the cupbearer? The cupbearer goes, I know a guy. And, of course, Joseph thought would have been, why didn't you know this back in the, you know? But now the guy goes, oh, yeah, there was this guy. And he tells Pharaoh, when I was in prison, he interpreted my dream. Let's go get him. And the Pharaoh says, send for him. So they grab Joseph. Joseph has no idea what's going on. They grab him, take him, give him a bath, clean him up, bring him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dreams. He said, I... Pharaoh looks at him and says, I understand that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph has that right answer again. No, Pharaoh. Only God can answer dreams. 
But tell me your dream. Humility, submission, right? So he interprets the dreams. And he says, what your dreams mean are this. Is there's going to be seven years of prosperity in Egypt, but it's going to be followed by seven years of devastating famine. So Pharaoh, what you need to do is you need to prepare during the seven years of good, and you need to store up for the seven years of bad. You need to get somebody in charge who can run this thing for you and prepare the kingdom for this. And Pharaoh says, that's a fantastic idea. How about you? And in one moment... One moment, Joseph goes from being in the prison to being second in command of Egypt in one day. Plucked from the prison, and now he's second in command of Egypt. Those 13 years were preparation for that one moment. And Joseph did it right. So he was ready when that time came. Well, well, notice what happens in Genesis 41, 50 through 52. Before the years of famine came, two sons were jo- born to Joseph by his new wife, uh, Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And look at, look at what happens here. You've got to read between the lines, but you'll see this. Verse 51 says this. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, and, and Manasseh, this is what it means. It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. In other words, what he's saying here is I've gotten past my past. God's delivered me from my past. Then he has another son. Check this out. The second son's name was Ephraim, and, he, and his name means it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So God has not only helped me forget my past and forget my rejection, but he's also helped me to be fruitful where I am. This is awesome for Joseph. Doesn't it sound like, wow, what a great story. He's come full circle, and now he's been able to get past his past, and everything's great. Well, then the years of famine come, and Joseph's plan is working beautifully. They've got plenty of grain stored up. They're able to feed their own people. As a matter of fact, they have enough left over. They can even feed some of the nations around them. Isn't that great? And so Joseph's in charge of all that. Well, what happens because of this famine is that Joseph's family, these Hebrews that he's forgotten about after all these years, these Hebrews are now also being, are suffering in the famine. And Jacob, Joseph's dad, looks at his brothers and says, listen, you need to go to Egypt and you need to buy some food so we don't so we won't starve to death. So Joseph's brothers load up in the camel, the family camel, and they head over to Egypt. Joseph's doing good though, isn't he? Our boys made a comeback. And I want you to imagine Joseph is in his kind of mini palace there doing his administrative duties, handling everything. And the Bible tells us that some of his servants come in and said, hey, we've got some people, some Hebrews here that are coming in and they're wanting to buy some grain. Joseph says, all right. You know, he's dealing with stuff like this every day. Send them in. And the doors open and guess who walks in? His brothers. The same ones that sold him into slavery 20-something years ago. They don't recognize him. Of course, they probably think he's dead. But they don't have a clue who he is, Scripture tells us. That's why you need to read this, because it's awesome. And they come walking up, and they begin to 
tell them who they are and all this, and Joseph is barely able to contain his emotion. Can I tell you something? One of the ways you can test somebody's character is give them power. If I want to know who you really are on the inside, give you authority and see what you do with it. And I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Joseph can sneeze and these guys are dead. It is payback time. And Joseph sits there and looks down at his brothers and and through some negotiation, he agrees to sell them some grain. But what he tells his servants is when they're not looking, put their money back in their grain bags. But do me a favor and put some extra stuff in there too. Well, no, that's later. So they go back, and they, but Joseph says, I need you to come back. Don't you have another brother? I'm going to leave a couple of you guys here. Bring your other brother back. You're missing one. So they leave, and then they, they're, Jacob's very upset because he's already lost one son. He doesn't want to lose another. So he sends his brothers back. But when they get back, he takes a piece of ornamental stuff and sticks it in one of the bags, and he accuses them of being thieves. Now he's got them exactly where he wants them. This is one of the coolest chapters in the entire Bible. Because it shows us what someone who's been redeemed looks like. Joseph is going back and forth with them, and the Bible tells us that he can stand it no longer. And he throws off his Egyptian ornamental stuff and, and says, Runs down to them and says, I am your brother, Joseph. Now, if you're the guys, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? It is on and we are hosed. Right? Listen to this. This is one of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible. This is Joseph talking. He, the Bible tells us he sends everybody out of the room except for his brother. And this is what he says to them. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As far as I am concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. For he brought me to this high position that I have today so that I could save the lives of many people. What you meant to destroy my life, God has turned that around, and now he's used it for the salvation of many people. Another translation means for multitudes, for nations. There were nations that were saved because of Joseph's ability and, and willingness to deal with his stuff. See, guys, that's God's perspective. Your perspective may only be this big, but God's perspective is this big. Number five says this, God has a purpose in our pain. God has a purpose in our pain. He does not cause pain, but he will use it to help us and to help other people. Romans 8, 28 says this. That's Old Testament. Let's look at what the New Testament says. 
And we know that God causes what? What does God cause? Everything. To work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God can take the rejection in your life. God can take the brokenness that you've experienced. God can take the hell that some of you have gone through. And by the way, the hell that some of you have brought on yourself. Some of you have put yourself where you are. Some of you have been put there because of decisions of other people. But can I just tell you something? It doesn't matter how you got there. There is a God who will redeem you if you'll let him. And that's the key, if you'll let him. In this room are people that have dealt with brokenness. There are people that have dealt with rejection. There are people that have hurt themselves and they've hurt other people. But God loved us so much that he sent his son to take our place. And if you will let him, he can take your brokenness and turn it into something amazing. He can take your past and he can redeem it just like he did with Joseph. You know, God wants to reach people through you. And for some of you, that's hard to hear because of where you are maybe in life right now. But if you'll surrender everything to God like Joseph did, he can turn your story around. He can do something absolutely amazing with your story. Some of you are doing it. Some of you are still holding on to your past. Some of you are letting rejection define you. Can I tell you today, if you will surrender to him and trust him, he will rewrite your story. He will make something beautiful out of the mess that maybe your life is. Three things I want you to remember as I close today. Hold on to your plans loosely. God's plans are gonna happen. Just hold on to you. Make your plans, but trust God's plan. Second thing I want you to remember is factor God into your everyday. It's his plan. Factor him into your everyday. And finally, remind yourself to see things through his perspective. Maybe God has a bigger picture of what's going on in your life than what you see. Let's all be in an attitude of prayer for a minute. Maybe you're here today. And like Joseph, you have been rejected. Now let me be clear here. Maybe you've rejected yourself. See, I would imagine when Joseph was in that prison, he came to real terms with himself. He realized that he was part of the problem that his flip side, his dark side, had caused him some problems. Maybe that's you. 
Maybe, in other words, maybe you are your biggest problem. But then Joseph also had to deal with the fact that he was betrayed by those people that he served. People that should have been honest with him, should have, should have believed him. But he was rejected. And he didn't do anything wrong. Maybe some of you today have been abused. You've been a part of a hard divorce. You've been... There's just been challenges in your life. Maybe you were fired unjustly. Whatever the situation is, there's a million of them. But maybe you were rejected and you shouldn't have been. You didn't deserve it. The third category is maybe you feel overlooked. You've surrendered to God. You've been going through his process, but you just feel overlooked. You don't know where you fit in. You're not sure of your place. Can I just tell you today that God is a God of hope and his timing is perfect? And when it's your right time, he will open up that door for you. Your job is to be faithful and be ready time comes. Joseph was faithful. And when the opportunity came, he was ready for it. So today, if you're one of those three people, maybe you've caused your own pain, maybe others have caused pain in your life, or maybe you just feel sidelined and you're not sure why, I just want you to come up here and I just want to pray for you. Just right now, just step out and come on down. This is for you today. If that's you, if in any of those categories, come down. I'm just going to take a minute. Amen. Amen. Come down here and stand in front of me. Stand in front of me. I like prayer folks to come. Stand behind. Everybody that comes up, I want somebody behind them. Anybody else? We're just going to take a moment. It's important, y'all. caused your own pain, you're dealing with pain that others inflicted on you, or you feel like you're at a place right now where you're just in a holding pattern, and you're wondering what God's doing. Anybody else? This is special. Come on. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? We're a family. There's no judgment here. Just come on down. I want to pray for you. All right, here's what I want to do. Everybody that's sitting out there, I just want you to hold your hands out towards these folks. Nothing magical about this. This is just in faith. I don't want you to focus on anybody around you. I just want you to pray for these people that are up here. This is a big deal. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy that's on us. Lord, I thank you for the cross. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would open doors, Lord, that no man can open, Father, that you would shut doors that no man can shut, that you would guide, Lord, and give peace and vision, that, Father, you would use this time for all of these folks as a time of training, Lord, and surrender and submission to you. I thank you for that, Jesus. Father, I pray it's a time of forgiveness for those that have been hurt, that, Lord, they would forgive those that have hurt them so that they can be free. 
Father, I just pray in Jesus' name this would be a time of restoration. Lord, a time when the broken places are mended, that Jesus, you would do what you do and you would bring restoration and peace and healing in people's lives because you are the God of peace. Jesus, you said you came to set the captives free and you came to heal the brokenhearted. And so, Father, I speak healing and freedom for these people today. As they've come forward in faith, Lord, that you would touch their lives and minister to them. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. I want everyone else to stand. These folks are still up here. We're going to honor their time for those that are praying. Okay, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. Turn to your other neighbor saying, he's bigger than you. He's bigger than you. And now say to yourself, and I can trust him. I can trust him. Amen. I'm going to pray over you and dismiss you. There are no football games today, so there's no need for y'all to be in a hurry. The Cowboys don't play for like two months, so... Y'all can stay in here and visit and spend family time. Lord, I just pray for these amazing people today. Lord, as they leave, I just pray that you would be with them. Father, help us to be your hands and feet to a community and a world that needs you. Lord, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and God's people all said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night.